Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Dan Cho, who's a chief resident at the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington. Dan is originally from Paramus, New Jersey. He completed college, medical school, and a PhD in biomaterials and tissue engineering at Brown University. He will be completing a fellowship in craniofacial surgery at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia next year. His interests include craniofacial surgery, specifically craniosynostosis and orthognathic surgery, facial reanimation, pediatric microsurgery, biomaterials, tissue engineering, quality improvement, and health equity. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I'd love to start by hearing a broad overview about your program at UW. So the program at the University of Washington is located in Seattle, which is um, a really great place to be in the Pacific Northwest. Our program is six years. There is no required research year, and our program is in talks to try to increase some flexibility for people who want to have some research time, but that's still in the works. Our program is an integrated program, and so the first three years are spent kind of split between general surgery, plastic surgery, and other related services, and then the last three years are dedicated plastic surgery time. I think as an applicant, people are really interested in what the first three years are going to be like, and our junior year experience has evolved um, over the past couple of years. And it's gotten much better. In our first year as interns, you rotate on pretty much all the core plastic surgery services, except the service at Children's Hospital. So you rotate on Purple at Harborview, which is our hand and complex reconstruction service. So we do a lot of free flaps for lower extremities, revasks, a lot of hand trauma. We also do a lot of wound reconstruction for NSTIs. And then Dr. Friedrich, who's one of our attendings and program director, he also works with the urologist to do urologic reconstruction, which is a really cool part of our practice. The gold service at Harborview is our craniofacial service. And then there's also a hand component with Dr. Vetter and Dr. Miller as well. The craniofacial service at Harborview is mostly for trauma. We take a significant amount of the trauma um, at Harborview for craniofacial, and we do a lot of the reconstructions on Thursdays and Fridays, and then the first half of the week is spent with Dr. Vetter and Dr. Miller doing a little bit more elective hand, but as uh, we also do trauma as well. The other service that you rotate on is at the University of Washington Medical Center. It's our complex reconstruction service. That's where our um, breast reconstructive service is, so it's a lot of tissue expanders, implants. We do a DIEP at least once a day. Oftentimes, there are multiple DIEPs going. And then we also do sarcoma and other oncologic reconstruction, abdominal wall reconstruction, chest reconstruction. So it's a really busy and exciting place, and you get a lot of hands-on experience with free flaps, even as a junior. There's a night float rotation for us at Harborview, which is uh, unique, I think, to our program. The interns, second years, and third years all rotate through, and they're the primary consult resident at Harborview in the evening. So they cover the floor services, and then depending on the schedule for the week, they take um, hand call, face call, and um, plastic surgery call. And then the other intern plastic surgery service is our VA service. It's a split between vascular and plastic surgery. And so the plastic surgery service is general plastic surgery reconstruction. And then you also work with Dr. Vetter again, doing a lot of elective hand surgery. So carpal tunnels, cubital tunnels, trigger fingers, CMC arthritis, stuff like that. So it's a great introduction to all different aspects of plastic surgery. And then we also rotate um, on the pediatric surgery service at Children's. You do a month in the emergency room, helping to see trauma patients. You work on orthopedics, you work on burns, and then you do some cardiac surgery and trauma surgery. 
Those two rotations kind of fluctuate a little bit depending on the academic year, but we actually don't do very much general surgery as interns, which is good because we're not spending time answering pages. And we do most of our general surgery as second and third years where you're operating, seeing consults, and even running some of the services. So in the second year, you rotate through Purple, Night Float, the UW service again. You also rotate on Optho and Odo. And then you do a couple general surgery months on surgical oncology, which is mostly breast surgery, acute care. And then as a third year, you are back on the Purple service, Night Float. We do a dermatology rotation. You also rotate on the children's oral surgery rotation. So it's half the time with the craniofacial team and the other half the time with Dr. Susarla, who is both trained in oral and plastic surgery. And you also rotate at UW. That year, you also spend some time as a chief of burns. You run all the traumas in the ED as a trauma resident, and then you either do acute care or bariatric surgeries. You know, I think right now we're at about 15 to 18 months of general surgery. But what we do when we talk about general surgery is we call any rotation that's not a plastic surgery specific service as general surgery. And so that'll include your optho and odo, ortho, all those other rotations as well. Our senior years, you are fully on plastic surgery. Our fourth year, you spend three months each at Children's, UW, Purple, and Gold. So you go through all of the core rotations. And then as fifth and sixth years, you come back to a lot of the core services. You also get time at Renton. It's a practice called Plastic and Reconstructive Surgeons. They do about half cosmetic and half reconstructive. It's a really great opportunity to see plastic surgery in the private practice setting. And then as a chief, you also rotate on Capstone, which is our cosmetic rotation at Madison Tower Plastic Surgery and Seattle Facial Plastic Surgery Center. And that's with a lot of our attendings. And you get to see what private practice, like high-end aesthetic surgery is like. So it's a really great balance schedule for all of us. And you get lots of time back on our services. So you get to develop some really great relationships with our faculty. I talked a lot about our program sites, but I'll give you a little bit more detail Harborview is our county hospital, and so it's where we see all the traumas. It's the level one trauma center for five different states, so Washington, Wyoming, Alaska, Montana, and Idaho. So all of those traumas are being airlifted to us if needed. It's also where we kind of take care of all the patients who don't have insurance or um, are more marginalized. And so it's a great opportunity to see a really diverse patient population as well as a range of pathologies. UW is our other main medical center. It's down the street from Harborview. And that hospital is really like a tertiary quaternary referral center for all the adult patients in that five-state region that we cover. And so we see some of the most complex surgeries and complex patients. And, you know, Dr. Nelligan always tells the stories about how he has patients that kind of come in from rural areas about one problem. And like during the exam, he'll notice like a huge fungating, like cancer growing out of their shoulder. And so we see a lot of really big reconstructions. And then our children's hospital is also a tertiary referral center. It's really high volume for plastic surgery and craniosynostosis and other craniofacial procedures. And so that's even further down the street from UW. It's a really great place to be. And especially if you're interested in pediatric or craniofacial surgery, I think our volume is pretty unparalleled and our attendings are awesome to work with. We are a fully integrated program, and so there are no independent residents. And I think that's kind of nice for us. We all go through the same training paradigm. We all come in at the same point, and I think it just helps kind of build that camaraderie and everyone has a shared experience through the program. You know, I think there 
are some nice aspects of having independent residents and that they just bring a different perspective having gone through full training in another surgical specialty. But we also have a lot of fellows in our program. So we have one microsurgery fellow, two craniofacial fellows, and four hand fellows. And so we get to really learn about what their experiences were like at their different programs. And it gives another perspective to our training. And we get to see how they do things because we're both given a lot of independence in the OR. So a lot of times the attendings will let us do what we think is going to be best for the patient as long as it's reasonable. And you can see how kind of the fellows approach and think about things. And the cool thing about our hand fellowship is that it's an orthopedic program, but they take usually two plastic surgery trained fellows and two orthopedic trained fellows. So there's a lot of really great educational opportunities from everyone. In terms of research, our program doesn't have a specific research year. It's kind of very flexible. The expectation is that you get involved in a research project during your time at UW, but you're not really required to do like a ton if you're not interested. I would say about half our residents are really involved in research. There's a lot of work being done at Children's, kind of looking at our experience in craniofacial surgery. Dr. Hopper's put together probably one of the largest populations of patients with craniosynostosis that have been treated. Dr. J does a lot of work with cleft lip and palate. The hand team has a lot of stuff going on, especially in peripheral nerve. And then there's a lot of work done with breast and general reconstruction as well. So I think any type of research you want to do, our program offers. One of the cool things that our fifth-year resident, Katie Lou, has been working on that I'm super excited to see is she's developed like a video game interface for patients who are going undergoing therapy after peripheral nerve reconstruction. And um, I, I think there's so much potential in kind of making it a more engaging way for people to be involved in their therapy. So I think that's a really cool project. And I've been working on a lot of work looking at uh, racial diversity and representation throughout plastic surgery literature to kind of help us to understand, you know, are we biased in the photos that we use in our journals? Is there a way to make it more inclusive so that patients who do come across our journal articles feel like they're represented and are more likely to seek care? Whatever research you want to do, it's available and there's a lot of support for it. Another cool thing that some of the residents are involved in is quality improvement. So I am currently the co-chair of the House Staff Quality and Safety Committee, which is run by the GME, and two residents uh, run the QI group for the entire institution um, on the resident and fellow side. So we get to interface with the leadership and we get direct input into a lot of the quality improvement efforts that are made. And one of my co-residents, Jenny, who is a fourth year, is kind of coming up the ranks in the leadership group there as well. And then there's another cool group called the Global Burden of Disease. It's run through the ITHS and IHME. And you guys might have heard some of the results. Anytime they talk about the COVID statistics on the news from the University of Washington, that's that group. They also look at the burden of those diseases in terms of cost and disability and life years. We've been working with them to look at different plastic surgery related disease processes and what those impacts are globally. So it's a great opportunity. Our program supports presenting research at conferences. The fourth years go to PSRC, the fifth years go to AAPS, the sixth years go to ASPS with the senior residents meeting, and that's a given. And then any resident who has an abstract that's accepted for a presentation gets uh, funding from the faculty and the program as well. Do you think you could clarify across the first three years how many plastics months you would get? I have our schedule up here and you're getting one, two, three, four, five months as an intern. And then you're getting one, two, three, four, four months as a second year. And then as a third year, you're getting one, two, 
three, four, so six months as a third year. And that's just on like direct plastic surgery rotations. What's the experience like when you're on some of those non-plastic services? I think for us, our program has really fostered really great relationships with all the rotations or all the programs that we rotate with. On general surgery, they treat you like one of their own. The expectations are high, but they also give you a lot of trust and independence, which is awesome. And I think for me, on the senior side of things, because I've rotated with the general surgery team, all of the attendings, you know, if I see a patient and give a recommendation, then they don't question it. They trust you implicitly to make the right decision for your patients. And so it just kind of creates this opportunity for every resident to develop a great reputation within the hospital system. And so that when you're a senior, you have that to fall back on. On some of our subspecialty rotations, they love having us. I know when I did ophthalmology for blepharoplasties, like the oculoplastics fellow would do one side and then I would get to do the other side. They really just let you do a lot of hands-on work, which I think is really fantastic. So they want to maximize your education. So they really work with you at the beginning of each rotation to figure out what your goals are, what you want to learn. And then they minimize the amount of scut work and stuff you do. And you're not holding the pager. You're actually operating. You're in clinic. You're getting to do things that are educational instead of, you know, bowel meds and NG tubes. You talked a bit about the support you're able to get once you are accepted or presenting, but how about more so like when you're still in the process of your research? Our program, a lot of the attendings have funding for different projects. I think one thing the residents have been really excited about is going and getting our own funding. So within the institution, there are a lot of different resources to get that funding from. So the House Staff Quality and Safety Committee, as well as the Resident and Fellow Physician Union Northwest, RFPUNW is our union, so they also provide funding. I mean, those are smaller grants, uh, $500 to $1,500 a year for different projects. And then within the University of Washington, there are a lot of different grant funding sources, including the institution itself, UW Medicine, ITHS, and IHME are different groups here at UW. They provide statistical support. They do clinical data extraction. So they'll go through the charts and actually pull out data for you. They also give you a lot of support for applying for other grants, publishing your work. So it's a really great research atmosphere here at UW. Can you go into a bit more about what call is like at the different sites? So our call is, it's very interesting. As a junior, as a first, second, and third year, you don't take plastic surgery call. You're service to the department or the division is that you take night float. So you get your experience seeing all the consults firsthand. You do all the reductions, you do all the suturing, and you do all the evaluations, but you always have a plastic surgery senior supporting you. As a four, five, and a six, our call burden is a little bit less at, at other programs, though I think when you're on call, it can be quite busy. As a fourth year, each rotation has one weeknight that's associated with it that you take call for. So when you're a fourth year at the UW service, you take Monday night call, which is just plastic surgery call for the entire system. On Tuesdays, you do that. You take call as a gold resident and you take hand and plastic surgery. And then Wednesday, it's craniofacial. It's the Seattle Children's Hospital resident. And then the Thursday call is by the purple resident which is um, hand and plastic surgery, and then there's craniofacial every other week. Weekends, they alternate hand or craniofacial, and the fours, fives, and sixes all take weekends. And so the fourth years do eight weekends, and the fifth and sixth years do nine weekends a year. And so there's a lot of flexibility to do research, 
have a family, do things outside of medicine, especially in your senior years. The really cool thing about our hand call is that there's a lot of vertical integration in your hand call. So as the senior on hand, you may have a junior who's an ortho junior or a plastics junior. Your fellow may be ortho trained or plastics trained, and your attending can be an ortho or plastics attending. It's a fully integrated system. And so you get to work with people from different backgrounds of all different levels. And it's a really great opportunity to see different perspectives and learn from each different level. I really like that mixing and matching because it kind of creates a cool network of people that are involved in hand surgery. And the way that our hand works is if you come in as a consult, if you can't get to the OR overnight, like the next day, the hand team that's coming on will take that patient to the OR. So there's like a really great seamless integration that occurs between the outgoing and oncoming hand teams every day, which I think is really a, a cool thing to see that this kind of system can actually work. And what's the mid-level support like? So we have mid-levels on all the different services. At Harborview, the Purple Service has a mid-level. Her name is Tracy. She is amazing. And she holds a pager, sees all the consults during the day. And she's uh, very close with Dr. Keyes. So they'll be able to kind of help put together plans for the seniors if they're busy in the operating room. And then the seniors also get to weigh in on reconstructive plans. At Children's, we have a couple of APPs and they work in clinic. They also help cover the floor during the day. And then our coverage at UW and Northwest Hospital, the APPs are mostly in clinic. And then the surgical team kind of coordinates with them for anything that needs to kind of go from the inpatient to outpatient setting. So there's a lot of APP support, and I think that's going to continue to grow. Are there any opportunities for electives in the later years? Yeah, so our program doesn't really have time built in for electives in our current schedule. We do have some rotations with significant flexibility so that you are able to take time to do things that you're interested in. So our fifth year rotations, the Renton rotation, if there are days where there aren't big cases going on, you're flexible to kind of find other clinical opportunities. If you're interested, you could also use that as research time. And the same goes for our VA rotations. I think that rotation has one or two days a week where you can do research or find other clinical activities. Same thing for the capstone rotation. And then our purple rotation as an R6, the R4 is the chief on the service. So as the R6 are kind of like the super chief, you come in to help with flaps and with the needs. Then you also do our peripheral nerve cases, but usually you have one or two days a week to keep things pretty flexible. The other benefit is that we make our own schedule. So the residents put together the call schedule and we also work within each year to come up with our rotation schedule every year. And so if there's something that you know is going to go on. So this year for interviews, Grace was applying for micro. I was applying for craniofacial. So we picked rotations that gave us a lot more flexibility. Last spring, I also had timed one of my less busy rotations. So I got to go spend a week at SickKids in Toronto to see what their program was like for pediatric plastic surgery. So there's a lot of flexibility to make things work. Our program currently is trying to expand to a fifth spot. I think we have approval from the ACGME and we're just kind of working out funding within our hospital system. And once that happens, I think there will be a lot more flexibility for potentially elective rotations down the line. Are there any like already kind of established global rotations or trips possible or can those be arranged? So Dr. Friedrich, our program director, he takes a trip internationally every year for hand surgery. I think he's done Vietnam before, and I think this year he was supposed to go to Africa, but because of COVID, everything kind of got pushed to the side. 
Our craniofacial attendings are pretty involved at Smile Train as well, and so um, they can kind of help figure out opportunities. In terms of the institution and the Department of Surgery, our program and the general surgery program are working to put together a like global and rural medicine curriculum. And I think eventually there's going to be a structured educational curriculum for people that are interested in that, as well as opportunities to get involved with research and uh, potentially take trips. So it's something that um, a lot of residents have expressed interest in, and uh, the program has heard, and they're working to create a curriculum for everyone, and hopefully with that, opportunities will grow out. For burns, our burn team is technically not part of plastic surgery, but we work closely with them, and they have relationships with a burn clinic in Nepal, so they sponsor lots of trips over there as well. So it's really kind of what you make of it in terms of your interest and getting involved with a lot of these different groups. And one of our fifth-year residents is on the ACS committee for global surgery, Ben Massenberg, or sorry, fourth years. He's kind of plugged in nationally with what's going on in terms of surgery as a whole. And can you tell me a little bit more about the cosmetic experience across the training years? UW, I think one of the things that people have kind of known about our program is that like, we don't do a ton of cosmetic surgery as residents. I think a lot of the experience is reconstructive. But I would say that we uh, are getting a lot more cosmetic exposure than maybe a few years ago. Currently, you have three months as a fifth year on Renton and then three months as a sixth year at MTPS and Seattle Facial Surgery. And so you get a ton of experience. I've met all my numbers easily. And because you work with them for three months in a row, you get a lot more independence and opportunity to be like significantly involved in these cases. These aren't cases where you just go and watch. These are cases where you're actually doing one of the sides and getting really involved. New to our curriculum last year was the incorporation of a short experience at the Madison Tower Plastic Surgery Group as a third year. So you kind of split one of your um, plastic surgery rotations and spend a couple days over at MTPS. So you get earlier exposure to aesthetic surgery in case you're interested in going into it. And secondly, when you go back as a sixth year, you'll have that longitudinal experience with the faculty. So it just kind of helps you to accelerate getting on that hands-on experience and that independence. Our Northwest Hospital is a community hospital that plastic surgery is branching into. So we're taking a lot of our non-microsurgical breast reconstruction up there. And they've also built out a space to be our aesthetic surgery clinic. So there are aesthetic cases that are being done by our faculty that residents are involved in the workup and um, surgical care for. And hopefully, eventually, the goal might be to develop an aesthetic clinic for the chief residents. And what's your experience like with gender affirmation surgery? Our program has been working on our gender affirming surgery program. One of our attendings, Dr. Edinger, he is craniofacial trained and has been kind of boosting that experience and building out our clinic. We have a gender dysphoria clinic at Seattle Children's Hospital that takes care of patients when they're young. And then as they get older, they go into the community. And I think their family medicine and psychiatry providers in the system that have an interest and focus in treating patients who are transgender. I think right now we're doing a good number of top surgeries, and we've recently started doing facial feminization surgery. So I've gotten to do gender-affirming mastectomies both at Northwest and in private practice at two different places. And They've been doing more and more. So I think there's at least uh, one of those cases a week. And then the facial feminization cases are coming down the line. We had one a couple of weeks ago as well. We're building it out. I think we're being slow and deliberate just to make sure that we have the right infrastructure for patients to really have a, a good transition between the different providers that they need until they get to surgery. So over the next couple of years, I anticipate that there'll be uh, more hires 
with the specific interest in gender affirming surgery, and that volume is going to increase significantly. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the union and what kind of benefits you get through that. So the RFPU previously was known as the UWHA, or the University of Washington House Deaf Association, and they recently rebranded to try to be more inclusive and try to create a larger network to reach out to. So it's a union that was formed a couple years before I started residency, so in the early 2010s. And the whole point was to advocate for residents in terms of benefits, salary, all that good stuff. And so in my time here, they've really worked to significantly improve our salary. And so I think every year they've added more and more benefits. So our salary has gone up about 3% a year. We've also added on a stipend for transportation as well as a stipend for housing. So you get a lump sum of a couple thousand dollars at the beginning of each year. They've also advocated for academic funding. So now each year, the institution provides $400 of academic funding that rolls over. So you can kind of accumulate your money. And so I saved my money up for a couple of years and got a new pair of loops. And then uh, they've also increased our food stipend. So every day you get paid, I think, $11 a day that you're working in the hospital. Every time you get called into the hospital, you get another $11. So you can accumulate quite a bit of money. I think I have like $2,000 sitting in my account. And at the end, you can actually cash that out. So you can just take that as cash. And that's a really nice benefit. They've also increased maternity leave. They've added paternity leave. They've provided a lot of support in terms of like any grievances or issues that may come up during residency. You have access to the union lawyer for any like job contracts or things that may come up. So they've actually really um, incorporated themselves into all aspects of residency training. And I think they've done a really nice job of advocating for residents because we're just so busy that like those little things, it's really impossible to do on your own. But as a group with all these numbers and with support staff that they've hired, there's a lot of really great opportunities for them to continue to advocate for us. And they've also been involved in social justice as well. So a lot of the causes that we hold near and dear as physicians, they kind of provide an outlet to kind of express and support those efforts. What area of plastic surgery would you say that residents come out with the strongest experience in upon graduation? I would say it really depends. I think we have really strong training in microsurgery and hand surgery and craniofacial surgery. I think they're probably all equal in terms of their strength. I think every resident kind of comes out feeling strongest in one of those areas based on what their interest is. But looking at my experience here, can't really identify any area that I don't feel well-trained in. But I think I've had a really awesome craniofacial experience because that's been my interest and the attendings have known that. So that's kind of been the strength of the program for me. But I think if you talk to some of my co-residents, they'll say hands, some will say microsurgery. I think it's really what you make of it. I'd love to hear a bit about, you know, how your program supported that decision-making process for you in terms of the specialty you chose and also supported you once you were actually like applying for fellowship. It's been awesome. You know, one of the questions I think I asked every program or the chiefs in every program when I interviewed was, you know, like how helpful was the program in getting your fellowship position or getting your first job? You know, at UW, I couldn't be more thankful to be here in terms of the support I've gotten. A lot of our faculty are really like well-known nationally. A lot of them are household names. And so if you decide to go into their subspecialty, they get really excited and they kind of go to bat for you from the start. 
I think for me, I've always kind of had an interest in craniofacial surgery. I, I think I've been nervous about the job market, so I kind of explored other areas and all the attendings want you to love what they do. So it's really cool. But once I decided on craniofacial, the attendings all kind of broke me into research. They started sending me information about conferences and other academic opportunities to get involved with. They were all there for me when I needed letters and advice. I know I like had emailed a couple of our attendings saying like, hey, like I'm having trouble figuring out which program to apply, which programs to apply to. And like literally two minutes I said, after I sent the email, one of the attendings was like on the phone with me being like, let's go through the list. As soon as I hung up with him, another attending called me was like, oh, I got your email. Like, let's talk. And so it's been really great. Once I had my rank list done, Dr. Hopper literally texted me. and was like, how can I support you? Like, do you want me to make a call anywhere? And everything worked out exactly the way I was hoping it would. So there's just a ton of support. And I think the same thing happens for hand. The same thing happens for micro. I think almost every resident coming out of our program is getting their first choice for fellowship, which is a pretty impressive thing. How would you improve your program? Our program is growing rapidly. We're kind of on that edge where we're so clinically busy that having another resident would be really helpful. And I think that's kind of the next big step. We've been approved to get the fifth spot. We're just working on funding and COVID kind of makes that a little bit difficult this year. But I think once that fifth resident gets incorporated and we backfill a little bit, then we'll have a lot more leeway to kind of cut back a little bit more on some of the general surgery rotations that people aren't finding to be as educational, increase time on plastic surgery, and also kind of divide up our plastic surgery services a little bit better so that everyone can have a really great experience. I think most of the chiefs are graduating with like 3,500, 4,000 cases. And so there's no shortage of cases, but I think, you know, having a little bit of flexibility for elective time, for research to kind of tailor the curriculum a little bit for your interests would be really great. And I think that will come once we have the flexibility of another resident. I'd love to hear a little bit more specifically about your program leadership, so the chair and the PD. So Dr. Vetter and Dr. Friedrich are amazing. They're both really great people, and they're amazing surgeons. And the thing I really love about our program is that the hierarchy is really flat. So I routinely am texting with Dr. Friedrich or Dr. Vetter about any issues, questions. You know, like when I was applying for fellowship, I would just text Dr. Vetter and be like, hey, I just interviewed at this program. I really like this program. Like, do you have any thoughts? And he like texted me right back. He sent me photos of him with like the program directors and stuff. So I, I think that's really great. And I think the thing I really love is they've created an atmosphere where everyone feels really safe to learn and explore and make the best of the time here. And I think they also kind of keep an eye on trends in plastic surgery, how our program needs to evolve to stay current. And so I think watching kind of how they run the program, I've gotten a real good sense of like how things should work to keep a program healthy and uh, dynamic and continually growing. I would have to say Dr. Friedrich is probably the best program director I could have ever imagined. He is like such a joy to work with. He's super fun. And he really gives you like a ton of independence. And I think the thing that's really cool about our program is we have a, a meeting twice a year called VFK Res, and it stands for Vetter Friedrich Keys. Dr. Keys is our assistant program director, and it's called VFK Res because all the residents come as well. And it's a meeting in the winter for all the chief and senior residents to meet with the three higher ups in the program to air our grievances. We let them know what's good, what's bad, what we want fixed. And then in the spring, all of the residents get together for that. And I think 
a lot of the changes that have occurred in the program have been directly as a result of us sharing what we want to improve, what we want to do better, what things we would like to change. And Dr. Friedrich has been so proactive, like you'll mention something to him. And by the next academic year, it's like taken care of, things are better. And sometimes it's even faster than that. So I really like that there's a direct connection between the residents and the administration. And that actually leads to change. And so as a resident, you feel really empowered to make the program better on a day-to-day basis. Do you have any specific examples of things that you've seen, you know, brought to leadership and then changed during your course there? From like a curriculum standpoint, every spring we go year by year and people say, this rotation was good. I wish this rotation was different, or I don't think this rotation is very valuable. And you know, looking at the curriculum now compared to what it was my intern year, I would say almost every rotation that the residents have said like wasn't as educationally valuable and was more service than education has been removed and replaced. And I think that's why our curriculum has shifted so much over my five years here so far. On a minor note, like we were noticing that for our junior residents on night float, we actually had one of our residents catch COVID and we're not really sure the situation in which that happened. But once I was looking at kind of their day-to-day activities, they're in close contact with craniofacial consults, with hand consults. They're seeing a lot of patients in the emergency room. I emailed Dr. Friedrich um, after talking to some of the residents and let them know, I was like, maybe our residents should be wearing N95s when they see consults just to keep them safe. And, you know, within three days, we had boxes of N95s arrive for our juniors. And so I think that's like one of the really cool things There's never really a fear of bringing something up with the administration, and they're always really proactive in addressing our concerns. What kind of role do residents play in some of the department decision-making? So in the process of getting new residents or getting new faculties or anything like that? I think a lot of the culture of our program has to deal with how we do our recruitment. So all of the residents work with the sub-eyes when they're rotating with us, and we have an opportunity um, at the end of each rotation to give feedback to our faculty, and that kind of plays into decisions about interviews down the line. And then during the interview day, all of the residents come and spend a lot of time with the applicants. The chief residents get to interview. And then when we do our rank list, all of the residents and all of the faculty sit together and make the rank list, and everyone's vote is equal. So our intern's vote is equal to Dr. Vetter's vote. And so essentially, the more support you have from all of the residents and faculty, the higher you are on our rank list. And if you think about the math, we have more residents than faculty. And so essentially, we all have a lot of input, and we essentially are picking the people that we really want to work with. And so that fosters the really like family-like atmosphere that we have here. There are multiple residents that always are invited and asked to meet with any potential hires just to make sure that we feel like they're a good fit for the program. And so most major decisions in the division have resident input. Now I'd love to hear a little bit more about the relationships amongst the residents. Our program, like we always talk about on our Zooms, I think we have a really like family-like atmosphere. People really like each other and we're all really committed to supporting each other. You know, pre-COVID, I think we all used to spend a ton of time hanging out with each other. And now there's a lot more Zoom stuff and we try to find ways to stay connected. We're actually doing like a holiday gift exchange in a socially distanced manner. So I think we are using a program and we're just having packages delivered to each other. I think the really cool thing is because you rotate on plastic surgery throughout all six years, you just have a lot of vertical integration between the residents. And so I'm really close with a lot of the interns in second years, and they have a lot of relationships with more senior residents. So 
it's not like a system where like the senior residents are one click and the junior residents are another. I think you just kind of transition really naturally between all the different years. And I think the best part of working together and the independence we're given is like on purple right now, when we do a free flap, you know, I'll do the dissection with the fourth year, we'll do the micro together, we get like the juniors involved and like prepping recipients or helping with the flap dissection. And I think because we're all so close, we're always willing to teach each other, help chip in. If someone has like a family emergency or something, like there are multiple people that are always willing to step up and help cover call and other clinical duties. So it really is like a family, both in and outside of the hospital, which I think is what makes every day so much fun and enjoyable. And now a little bit more about the logistics of how residents live. So do most own or rent? I think it's about half and half. You know, like truthfully, Seattle is an expensive city to be in. So we have a couple of residents that live together as roommates. We also have people that have bought apartments or condos or houses. and so. It really varies in kind of what your resources are and what your interests are. But if you want to own, it's not prohibitive. You can make it work. And if you want to rent, it really just kind of depends on what kind of lifestyle and what kind of amenities you want to look for. I think um, Seattle has undergone a lot of modernization and construction recently. And so a lot of the apartments that people live in will have like concierges at the front door. They have like package management services, rooftops, fire pits, grills like living spaces, most places have a gym. So there's a lot of kind of nice opportunities in terms of housing and amenities in the area. And I think everyone kind of lives in different places. I live pretty close to Harborview. I used to walk by the building I live in every day when I was a sub-I and I was like, oh, it'd be so convenient to live there. And then when I matched, I moved here and it's been a great place to live. So I've been here all six years. And I think within like a 10 block radius, about half of our residents live here. So it's kind of fun because you can just like run across the street and, you know, have people over. There are other people that live a little bit further out from the center of the city. And those are a lot of the residents who have families. And so if you want to live closer to the water, there's that. If you want to live in more of a suburby kind of quiet neighborhood, that exists too. So it really is where you want to live. Seattle's public transportation is kind of half and half. There are buses and there's the light rail, which is like a streetcar and a train. And they're actually really convenient. So from where I live, it's a five-minute walk to Harborview. And then getting up to UW is probably a five-minute walk plus like another five to ten minutes on the light rail. Or I can take the streetcar and then transfer onto the light rail. So it's really not bad. I think it's a little tougher to get to the VA or to Children's because the public transportation to those areas isn't as well developed. So a lot of residents end up getting cars and most people will often go their intern and second year without cars and then get a car their third year. I think as a senior, it's a little tougher when you're on call to be rotating through all four hospitals in one night if you need without a car. But the other cool thing is the union recently negotiated with the UW and now we all get free public transportation. So our ID cards give you free access. And so you can get the light rail from anywhere in Seattle down to the airport for free and you can kind of get around the city if you want. And are most residents single, married, kind of a mix? I think it's more of a mix that by your chief year errs on being in a significant relationship or married. I think it's like half and half in terms of people who come here single. And then by the end, a lot of people are in pretty significant relationships. And then I would say a lot of people are graduating with kids. So last year, I think between the four chiefs, there were, I think, three, four, four children and like three dogs. My class, none of us have kids yet. 
And so it's pretty variable, but our program is really supportive of people having kids. And so there are lots of opportunities throughout our curriculum that make sense for people if they want to have kids. And if you have a kid at a different time, the residents all kind of chip in and make it work. We love kids. So um, we always get excited. And we actually just put together our alumni like newsletter this year. And like we put in like all the photos of kids and dogs. And there's just a lot of support and excitement when it comes to, you know, building your family and doing the things that you love outside the hospital. Continuing in that vein, what else do you like to do outside the hospital in Seattle? And like, what do you like about living there in general? I love Seattle because I think it's such a progressive city. I think no matter what you want to do, we have it here. There are a lot of residents who are really interested in outdoor activities. And so they will go like skiing and mountain biking and all that stuff. The Ski resorts are typically about an hour, hour and a half away. So a lot of people on their days off, it's a quick trip up and down. You also get discounts through UW. There's a lot of hiking to do. People have climbed Mount Rainier. They also do a lot of uh, like water sports in the summer. There's a lot of boating and sailing. Grace, one of my co-chiefs, uh, she got really into paddleboarding. So a bunch of our residents this summer bought paddleboards. You're able to go be outdoors because water is literally five minutes away in almost every direction. There's a lot of music venues. There's a lot of really great food. And the food culture here is really dynamic. There are a ton of restaurants that are constantly opening. So whatever type of food you want, we have it here, which is great. I actually really enjoy curling. And there's a curling club in North Seattle. So I've been going there whenever I have free time, which is great. It's a really fun opportunity. I've taken some of our junior residents curling. And they're always like, this is so cool. It's so crazy. I think we all have like different activities that we like, and we all like really love sharing that with other people. So I learned how to ski, I think, two years ago uh, from one of my co-residents. And so it's a really fun opportunity to kind of share our joys outside the hospital with each other. So I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. So any final thoughts either on your program or on the process of choosing a residency program? I think the one thing we did forget to talk about were some of the perks. So I know the union gives us all those things. Our program pays for every resident to get loops at the end of their intern year. And so you can either get like two and a half or three X loops with the headlight, or you can get three, five loops. We also have our own flap course every year. So our faculty get cadavers and we get to dissect them. We also try to do a hand anatomy lab. And this year we're working on building a craniofacial anatomy lab. You also get your academic money, you get your food money, and then you also get a copy of the Nelligan textbooks when you match here because Dr. Nelligan is one of our faculty. So there are a lot of like little perks here and there. Going back to your question, I think our residency program is really great. I know when I was looking at programs, this was like by miles, like the furthest program I could have matched at. And I think for me, really sealed the deal was you don't compromise any of your clinical training. You have amazing people to work with every day. The volume is insane but you still have a good lifestyle, good opportunities to do fun things outside of the city. And from Seattle, I know it's kind of remote, but you can get anywhere because we have great airports and all that stuff. I think one of the things that I always advise prospective applicants is that, you know, you feel a lot of pressure to, you know, make other people happy in the match, right? Like your faculty are giving you one set of advice and then residents say one other thing, your family wants you to be somewhere. But I think the most important thing is kind of trusting that gut feeling you get when you're interviewing with the program. And a lot of times it's like those intangibles, like how people interact with you, how they interact with each other, just that gut feeling you get when you're 
working or interacting with the program. And I think you kind of really have to trust that. I know like I got a lot of advice from different people about what I should do for residency. And ultimately, like none of them felt right except for this program. And it's hard to be like a a doctor or someone who's like more sciencey and analytical to kind of trust that intangible gut feeling. But I think if you really go with your gut feeling, you won't really regret it. And, you know, our program is awesome. I have loved being here. I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I'm really sad to be leaving UW to go on to the next stage of my career. It's a really, really amazing place to be. And I highly recommend it for anyone that's interested. And how can interested applicants potentially find out a bit more? We have a pretty active social media group. Four of our residents uh, wanted to build all that this year, and they got approval from the program. So you can find our program on the UW website, but I think the easiest way to get in touch with us is to find uh, UW Plastic Surgery on Instagram. We will kind of help you guys out if you need anything. So just message us there, follow us. I think we have a lot of content there that gives you a good glimpse into life as a resident and what our training is like and what life in Seattle is like. So hopefully that'll give you good insight into what we have to offer. And I think all of our Zoom recruitment meetings over the summer have been recorded. And so they're also available and you should be able to find the information for that on our Instagram. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Awesome. Thanks, Jenna. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.